Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast powered by Twisted Tea. We've got another opponent preview. We've got Glenn West of Go Tigers 247 hopping on to preview the OSU Tigers, the defending SEC West champions. We talked about expectations for Brian Kelly in year two, the maturation of Jaden Daniels, a revamped LSU defense, and where the Tigers could slip if there are vulnerabilities on this roster and a lot more as well. Think you enjoyed the conversation. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, let's take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home Internet provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves on having the best customer service in the market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama region. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. That's a lot of bits. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com today and use promo code RIPPY and check out for one month of free service. So my listeners, if you sign up for Cspire Home Internet, I have it at my place. It's terrific. I couldn't be doing this podcast without it. Can't be having internet going in and out. If you sign up today for Cspire Home Internet and use the promo code RIPPY, you get one month of free service. Take advantage of that today. Cspire, customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by RentTheSipOxford.com. Are you planning up to come to Oxford soon? Maybe if you've been slacking on reserving a place, RentTheSip Oxford has you covered. Their Turnberry unit sleeps eight comfortably. It has amenities such as tennis courts, a pool, a spa. It is gated. It is less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus right there on Old Taylor Road. Straight shot to Swayze Field. Almost a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. And, of course, almost a straight shot to the Grove as well. Go to RentTheSipOxford.com to check availabilities. They have openings still for Vandy, ULM, and Mercer football weekends. This is a terrific place in a prime location. Particularly on big weekends, it can be hard to find a place. Or maybe you're just passing through and don't want to screw with the hotel on a random weekday. You need to check them out. RentTheSipOxford.com. It is one of the best places to stay in town. Book your stay today. Go online. RentTheSipOxford.com. And check availabilities. If you use the promo code RIPPYRIGHTS, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, rights, R-I-T-E-S. I don't know why I had to spell that part for you. You get 100 bucks off any two-night stay minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Great people, Bracken Ray, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. Check them out today, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is Glenn West on the 2023 LSU Tigers. All right, we now welcome on Glenn West of Go247. Covering LSU as we continue our opponent preview series. Probably my least favorite guy to sit next to in the press box just because the sheer factor is 6'10 and reminds me that I'm not. I don't think two of me would get to 6'10. So uh how's it been going, man? What's the tall life like? Yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, I I, I honestly don't really like it either. I mean, I, I can't really <laughs> I can't really fit on in most press boxes either. So um I always like to have a little bit of space between me and the guy sitting next to me, but uh you know, you don't really get that a whole lot uh, when you're when you're covering a school like LSU. So, um, but yeah, it's going well. It's been hot. You know, we've 
right in the middle of fall camp right now. LSU is really allowing some unprecedented access, which I'm sure we can get to a little bit later. But uh, we're watching full practices like every other day, and and it's been fun. We've gotten to see a fight, a big brawl here, uh, awesome. which has been nice. It was it was a fight. It was a real, real, real legit fight. So it's been a it's been a really hectic but really fun first few weeks here on uh, as fall camp gets started. That's interesting you mentioned that because I was talking to Jordan Hill yesterday. We did one on Georgia, and I asked him about the access, and you mentioned you guys are getting to see full practices. Is that a new phenomenon? Was that the case last year? Why do you think that's happening? Yeah, no, it was not happening at all last year. I mean, uh, we got a few practices in the spring that were full, um, and I think that was just, you know, an introduction to Brian Kelly kind of thing. You know, he wanted to see how wanted us to see how he runs his practices, and that was really, really cool. But when fall, when fall camp came around, I mean, it was – 10, 15 minutes of individual periods, and then you're kicked out. And then during the actual season, there's absolutely no coverage of practice. And so um, we're, we're taking advantage of fall camp right now. It's been really fun just kind of to see this team. Uh, I think more than anything, it tells you how confident they are about the, the returning core that they have here. I mean, they have some real continuity returning on offense. They have some really dynamic playmakers on defense that they're really excited about. Um, and so I, I, I think that they, more than anything, just wanted – us to see that they're a very confident group and that they're they're evolving here and I think they have a lot of continuity returning on their coaching staff certainly with a lot of the players that are back this year and uh they're 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 very confident they're a very confident group right now it's interesting you mentioned that too because it's probably largely based on how last season played out I mean he wins the west in his first season I don't think anyone could have predicted that and I felt like the old miss game in some ways may have been a little bit of a turning point I remember last year going into that game there was Ole Miss, I maybe was, I can't remember, got to around to pick them, but like most people thought Ole Miss maybe had a slight edge in the football game. I remember I talked to Brody and maybe someone else, I can't remember a week up leading that game. They were both kind of keen on LSU winning the game. I kind of had a hunch there as well, just because you hadn't seen Ole Miss play anyone yet. But like anytime you mentioned, like you took it a step forward and it was like, okay, if they do win that, they're actually okay positioned in the SEC West. But it was like, ah, I don't know if this team has the horses to win the West. And then they do it and beat Alabama. What was it like covering that swing last year? Because you go from getting, you know, all really blown out of the building and you're at, at Tiger Stadium against Tennessee a week or two prior, if I'm not mistaken, to beating Alabama, obviously beating Ole Miss there too. What was that like? Because I imagine it, it really you went from one place to another very quickly midseason in terms of expectations. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you can even back it up to the first game against Florida State. I mean, that was a horrendously executed game for the Brian Kelly debut. I mean, they had block punts, missed field goals, turnovers, um, just a really it just bad, 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 bad game for LSU. And, and you know, you, you kind of felt like after that game, all right, well, this might be a little bit. Uh, you know, a little bit worse than we thought kind of coming in, but you got to give them credit. I mean, the, the, after the Tennessee game, they had a really tight player led meeting. Uh, they had a couple of them that week leading up to, I can't remember what game it was after Tennessee, but um, they, they, they were able to really come together, I think as a player uh, led unit. And I think they really took a really big step um, that led them to win five straight games, including, yeah, you mentioned they beat Ole Miss, they beat Arkansas, they beat Alabama, um, they beat some really, really good teams. Florida was in there as well. Um, so 
I think it was maybe the Florida game. It was right before the Florida game where they had a bunch of those team meetings. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they just started to really, I think, find their identity, uh, especially on offense, really leaning on Jaden Daniels and his legs and, uh, you know, spreading the ball out a little bit more. Um, yeah, they, 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 they really found it. And then, you know, it was kind of a, it was a really kind of roller coaster ride because then you get to a point where, okay, if you beat AM, you're in the SEC championship and you're feeling good about yourself about maybe having a chance at a college football playoff spot. And then you blow the AM game and it was not a very well executed AM game either. Uh, you know, Josh Williams, one of their star running backs got hurt. Jaden Daniels uh, was, was battling an ankle injury for most of that game. Couldn't really run around like he, like he was most of the other uh, 10 or 11 games during the regular season. And, you know, you drop that game, you obviously get blown out by Georgia in the SEC championship. I mean, I thought, you know, they, they really started to find themselves a little bit in that second half with Nussmeyer, but it was just too big of a uh, uh, just a, too big of a deficit to overcome. And uh, but I think they really, you know, they, they kind of go back and they lean a lot on that uh, five game win streak last year, what they were really doing well, how could they evolve uh, this offseason with that team uh, and and how they could really, um, you know, just kind of take that as a, as a stepping stone into what they've uh, they think could be a really special 2023. What changed with Jaden Daniels? I remember, again, that Ole Miss game came at a very key point in the season, but I remember there was a lot of talk about him being too, almost too risk-averse and them almost asking yep. him to take more chances. What what led to him turning into the player he did last year? Because, again, those first couple games of the season, I'm not even sure it was guaranteed if he'd make it through the whole year as the starter because the offense was sputtering a bit. What What caused him to turn a corner? Yeah, he was very conservative, I think, early on in the season. I think he was just trying not to make mistakes. Um, and at, at times it costs, you know, the offense going into some lulls. You know, they didn't get first downs. They were, were kind of stuck in some situations that, I mean, that certainly was the case against Tennessee. They really, after the first couple drives, just weren't able to do anything. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he just became a little bit more sure of himself, a little bit more confident in what he was doing. Um, he still, you know, I don't think he he completely untapped the aggressive nature that, that, that they wanted from him. Um, and that's been a big focus for him this offseason is being more comfortable delivering the ball downfield hitting his weapons in stride I mean he's got a, he's going to have a lot of them this year and we can certainly tap into that a little bit as well but um, I, I think last year it was more of learning the SEC learning how to be a quarterback in that conference where I mean you're going to have guys coming down your throat you know two seconds in and you've got to be able to get the ball out quick um, and I think it was also a little bit of a, a change of tune for him last year because he was always so quick to run right and he was the guy that you know he sees pressure okay he's running and I think what LSU really tried to do last year and maybe he really wasn't quite ready for it was okay evade the pressure but stay in the pocket and and be able to still look downfield for your options I think it was just kind of a a a real culture shock for him to be able to kind of fit and do that in year one and I think he's going to do a much better job of that this year and it should be a more complete offense you mentioned the weapons Last year, you figured you had Kayshawn Butte and then, you know, what else behind him? And that didn't even end up working out and they still managed okay. You mentioned having a lot better weapons, a lot more of them this year. Kind of give us a look at why that is the case and who he might be throwing the football to with a lot of frequency. Yeah. I mean, uh, Malik Neighbors is coming back. He's an all SEC, all American type candidate this year. Really pristine route runner. I think probably the connection that he and Jaden had last year was the best on the team uh, in terms of just 
timing and uh, being able to consistently get him the ball. I think Malik would like to find the end zone a little bit more than, than three times uh, like he did last year. So that's been a, an area of focus for those two. Um, Mason Taylor, the second year tight end, you know, they, they really featured him a lot early in the season. And certainly, I mean, in that Alabama game, he had probably two of the most memorable catches in that stadium's history with the, the touchdown in the fourth quarter and then the two point conversion that won him the game in overtime. He's added about 15 pounds of muscle this year. He's moving really well. I think they expect even more production out of him. Um, Aaron Anderson is a guy that I think a lot of LSU fans are really excited about. He came in from, uh, you know, he was a Louisiana five-star guy last year, went to Alabama for a year, uh, was hurt a lot last year, wasn't able to contribute much for him. just explosive i mean he can change directions on a dime if you're able to get him in one-on-one situations um and, and get him the ball in space he he's going to take off for huge huge gains this year really like what aaron anderson can do for this offense and also as a punt returner um kyron lacy is a second year weapon here uh that they really are excited about chris hilton is a former five-star who's finally starting to make uh good on some of his potential after battling some injuries so they're going to have a lot of a lot of options. They have four freshmen in here as well. Maybe one of them pops off. Um, four freshman receivers, so they're 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 going to be they're going to be loaded, and I think they're going to have a lot of options at receiver and at tight end. Uh, the big thing right now is what's going to happen with running back. That's that's probably the one position offensively where things are a little bit still up in the air because they have so many options. In the offensive line, I feel like Daniel's mobility, similar to Ole Miss in some ways with Dart last year, masked some of the flaws on the offensive line. But it looks like at least within the first five in the starting group, it's probably going to be an older, more experienced guy. Do you have any questions about the depth? Do you think it'll be a better unit overall? Yeah, I have questions about the depth, uh, especially after seeing them now for about a week at, at fall practice. Um but the the starting offensive line is going to be legit. I mean, they all I mean, five of those guys that are going to be starting all played and played significantly last year uh, in Will Campbell and Emory Jones's case. Those were two freshmen, all SEC players. Uh, you got them back. I think they're poised to be potential all SEC, all American kind of candidates as well, especially Will Campbell at left tackle. I think he's probably viewed as one of the elite uh, tackles in the conference this year. Um He's going to be really good for you. Miles Frazier is a second-year guy. Garrett Dellinger has been in the program for a while. Charles Turner, the same thing at center. Um, so they're they're going to have a good starting lineup. I think a lineup that they can really rely on for most of their snaps. But there's there's some questions about the depth. They've retooled a lot of their depth this year. They brought in four freshmen. They brought in a, a, a a transfer named Mason Lunsford, who's going to be kind of a, a switch guy, I think, on the interior that you can play at a, a couple different positions. Um, some internal development from Bo Bordelon is going to be really important. Marlon Martinez, uh, I know these are just names. Probably a lot of Ole Miss fans wouldn't know who they are, but there's going to be there's going to be some questions about the depth, I think, uh, for LSU to kind of answer early in the season, but their starting lineup is going to be really good. Defensively, last year, they had to rely on the portal a lot because, I mean, that's just common with first-year head coaches. I wrote about this last week with Lane's heavy utilization of the portal. It's like every year, like the guys that take the most transfers are first-year head coaches in Kiffin. So it made a lot of sense. Brian <laughs> Kelly was even kind of tempering expectations for the team preseason because of how heavily they had to rely on the portal. Not really the case as much this year for the LSU defense, except for maybe in the secondary 
And I imagine just the way Harold Perkins turned into what he was last year is still such a young player. I mean, how he almost single-handedly won the Arkansas game for him. They just couldn't block him. Football's complicated sometimes, but sometimes it's not. If you can't block a guy, he's going to be a problem all day. Perkins, I don't know how the hell you become even better the next year, but I, I would I would bet on him probably accomplishing that, whatever the case may be. But it does seem like they're going to have a pretty fierce defensive line that is going to get after opponents for four quarters. Yeah, their front seven is going to be the the real deal. I mean, I I, I think they're going to be one of the best front sevens in, in college football. Um, you know, I, I think a large part of that is going to be because they've moved Harold around a little bit this year. They've they've kind of really leaned into him being an inside linebacker a lot this spring. He's lined up there again this fall. Um, and that's just going to allow them to be more versatile with the way they run their defense. You can bring him off the edge. You can bring him through the middle. You can have him drop back in coverage, and he'll be able to hold his own. Uh, and that'll open up a lot of one-on-one matchups elsewhere. I mean, the first guy on the scouting report for every opposing offense is going to be Harold Perkins, and how can we stop or slow down that guy? Uh, and LSU has some really talented interior linemen like Mason Smith, who's coming back from an injury. Uh, Makai Wingo, who really broke onto the scene last year as an interior lineman. Um, they brought in Ovia Gofu from Texas. They really like him. Quincy Wiggins is a former five star on the edge that they really like as well. Um, there, there's going to be there's going to be some real um, you know, consistency, and I think a lot more deeper of a rotation for LSU this year. Uh, they 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 really hit the transfer portal hard with defensive linemen um, and 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 cornerbacks in particular. Um, the, the one question that, you know, everybody's going to have about this defense is how's the secondary going to hold up? Um, they had their best day of practice on Thursday. Um, they, they, they really did a nice job of, of limiting the offense's production. And, um, you know, I think those guys are just getting more and more confident, but they are going to have some questions back there that are going to have to answer early in the season in the secondary, because you're right. They brought in a whole bunch of new guys. They brought in 29 players over the first two years here from Brian Kelly out of the portal they had the number three class i believe last year the number two class on 24 7 this year uh, so they're going to be still relying heavily on these transfer portal veterans and hoping those guys can can really step up to the plate and that was the case last year i remember there was a point earlier in the year where i was reading something of one of you guys that cover lsu rights and it was like hey if they lose a corner like i, I don't actually know who comes up behind yeah. him like it was pretty bare and it doesn't seem as bare this year, you mentioned a lot of guys coming in from the portal, a lot of different options. Do you get the sense that they feel better, even though it's probably some different faces about the amount of guys that they can, think can contribute and potentially be a starter or a filling guy back in the secondary? I do. I think the biggest thing that they did this year was they got younger in the secondary. You know, they brought in a bunch of fifth year seniors last year to really shore up that group. Um, this year, they brought in a bunch of like Denver Harris, who's a you know, former five star, but only played about five games last year for AM as a freshman. They brought in a, a guy from Southeastern who has a lot of experience playing, but not at this level. And right. uh, Deuce Chestnut played at Syracuse. That's not exactly the level of the SEC either. So, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they got a lot of, a lot of guys that I think are, are going to be able to contribute. Uh, I think they, they feel good about the internal development of a couple of guys they have returning this year, uh, but it's going to be a question mark. I mean, I, I'm going to be very interested to see in this Florida state game coming up here in a few weeks, just how those guys respond and what they look like, because there's uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of returning experience in this group. From the time Kelly got hired at LSU up until kind of the first couple games last season, it was a very humorous 
um, I would say maiden voyage for him because there was a lot of talk about like, is he actually a fit? The whole internet sensation about the fake accent thing. But it reached a point like pretty early in the year where it was like, actually, you know, all this stuff is really just kind of meaningless internet fodder. Like this guy knows yeah. what he's doing. And it seemed very early on, particularly after, again, I keep going back to that old Miss game, but maybe it was even the road win at Florida the week before that he yeah. seemed to get more comfortable in his own skin. He kind of almost seemingly reminded himself, Hey, I'm pretty good at this shit. I know what I'm doing. How did you see him get more comfortable in his own skin down at LSU last year? I mean, he's been, I I would say close to polar opposite of what I had expected from him coming in. I mean, when I listened to him and interviews at Notre Dame, I thought, oh, this is going to be a really stern coach, a guy who's no BS kind of guy, who's not going to really want to talk with the media or anything like that. He's been extremely personable since getting down here. He's been great to talk to. He's been very open with the media. He's been um, you know, great around the community in terms of just getting all eyes on the program and, and being confident in what he's pitching and how LSU can have success under his leadership. Um, he's been, he's been great. I mean, uh, you know, he's, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll go on tirades for, you know, two or three minutes during a press conference. And you really feel like you learned something about the group, uh, that he was talking about. And so, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed getting to cover him this first year. It's been a, a very different kind of experience than the one I had expected coming in. Um, but he's, I think the biggest thing with him was, yeah, people didn't really know if he was going to be a fit, but the the reason he's such a good fit here is because he delegates and he puts people around him that know the area well. He's got a lot of Louisiana ties on this coaching staff. A lot of people that are a lot of players that he's brought in are from Louisiana. That's been a big bullet point of his is to kind of have that local flavor to his roster here the first couple of years. Um, and and you just get you just get more buy in when you're having guys that are from the hometown that represent the LSU way and um, they've been a no drama program really since he's gotten here and that's been a nice change of pace after the last several years of of kind of the Orgeron era and certainly with less miles and everything like that yeah I always joked with Brody like I mean it was the most chaotic beat in college sports for quite a while and you're right it really has calmed down since he's been there and like it was interesting last year like he was he changed in another you mentioned the delegation piece which I think is huge because it seemed like that ultimately proved to be Ed Orgeron's downfall a little bit with some other things yeah. mixed in as well of course but the other piece of it too is just him changing almost who he was and adapting his personality or maybe not even changing who he is but just letting more of his personality show because you know yeah. the current job that he had called for it I mean last year there was I remember there was like almost like a one of those classic like fake outrage out of context internet stories because he was like joking with the reporter but <laughs> like if you didn't know and you weren't there like you wouldn't necessarily picked up on it, it almost yeah. seemed like some of that was just the sheer shock that he was like joking around with the reporter yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's just one example of many that he's had. I mean, he he came in the first day of fall camp last year and said, OK, we're going to have a uh, a late jar of you got to put ten dollars in the late jar if you're late. And I, I never saw the jar. I was never late. We were all pretty much on time. And uh, it was just a really fun kind of anecdote, icebreaker kind of thing for the media, I think. And, you know, he's done that really well. He's carried he's carried himself extremely well. I think he's He's represented the program in Louisiana the right way. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing here is, you know, the last three coaches have won championships here. And I think that there's really a strong reason to believe that he'll have one sooner than later. Uh, and he's he's certainly carrying himself and he's got the program steered in the right direction to, to hopefully accomplish that in the next couple of years. 
the front end of the schedule is pretty tough. Um, LSU yeah. opens the year with a neutral site game at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. Ole Miss went down there in 2016. I guess similar to it being in New Orleans last year, you could call it a neutral site game, but there will be a ton of FSU people at that sucker, not too terribly far from Tallahassee. But four of LSU's first six games are away from Tiger Stadium. They get a week two game against Grambling and I think a home game against Arkansas mixed in. And they won't play their third home game until the second week of October. That is a that is a pretty challenging schedule out of the gate. I guess you'll figure out who this team is pretty early on. There won't be any like Ole Miss was last year, seven yeah. and zero, and you don't really know how good they are at all. Like you'll you'll learn a lot about this team within the first three four weeks. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, at Mississippi State, at Ole Miss, or or two of your first three games in in conference play, and then Arkansas is always, you know, more times than not a, a tough game for LSU too. It's a it's a pretty good rivalry for those two programs. Um, yeah, I mean, look, they're they're going to be you know tested on the road early, and I think that how they navigate the first five or six weeks of the schedule is going to be really important because, yeah, your a lot of your home games are or a lot of your first several games are away. Um, but also you're in a position here where the last five or six games, you know, we have five of them at home. So like if you can get past the first half of the schedule, really only you have on the road is Alabama. And that could be a, a really big time matchup again in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you could be staring at two top five teams. You could be staring at a top five team and a top 20 team. I mean, like how LSU does, especially against that Florida state team, I think is going to be really indicative of the kind of season they have. Um, I think they can get past Mississippi state on the road. I think they, they, they're going to have a tough road ahead against Ole Miss on the road. I think that that will prove to be a tougher game than maybe people expect, but um, there, there, there's going to be some really tough ones out there on in the first five or six games of the schedule. But if LSU can navigate it, get out of there with, you know, one or potentially zero losses, uh, I think you really like where, where LSU could potentially be by, by season's end. And that Ole Miss game is is a, a critical point for Ole Miss on the schedule, too, which is something like when we do these preseason things, it's difficult to factor in. But you can already tell from the Ole Miss side that LSU game, whether they're undefeated or have three losses, that's going to be a very critical point because of what comes next for them and the fact that they will have already played Alabama by that point. And so that that will be a very fascinating game for LSU having a year where you win the West in year one. It's weird because they could have a pretty damn good year this year and not end up repeating the you know accolades in terms of just actually winning the division they did last year. Is there, I don't know if you'd call it a concern, but like it seems like Kelly raised the floor so much because of how well year one went that you could actually have a pretty damn good th year this year if you're LSU, but then also like not, not see the results of it and winning the West. Is there any concern there at all just because the schedule is tougher and last year was just kind of a weird year with the wide open West? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, look, I I have been kind of the opinion all off season that if you anything less than nine and three is a failure. Um, but if you get to nine and three, if you're competing for a New Year's Six bowl, for example, if you kind of slip into a New Year's Six bowl competition, if you're right there at the end of the season to win the West with Alabama, um, I I still think it's 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 a positive. I mean, you, you could, I mean, just based on what kind of record you have, whether it's nine and three, 10 and two, 11 and one, um, you can kind of deduce just how much of a success it is. I think nine and three would be kind of a plateau, you know, like a, a even keel kind of season for this team. But, um, and, and Kelly's spoken about it this off season where he thinks like year three is going to be kind of the year next year for them to really go after a championship. I think that was probably a little bit of a, uh, public downplay of this team as well. But um, I, I do think that this is going to be a roster that 
will, will come down to an offensive identity. It's going to be half, it's going to have to come through offense and um, how those, how, how that group responds um, this year to adversity is going to be really important. They have a lot of veteran talent um, across that offense. And um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's, there could be some concern in that regard, but um, I, I don't get the overwhelming feeling that it's something that is, kind of sweeping through that program. I think they feel very confident in the kind of group that they have this year. And I think there is some truth to him downplaying it because what was fascinating to me, I guess a better way to work. We'll get back to Glenn West in just a second, but I want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Unfortunately, life does not come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapy is a great way to talk things out. A lot of times it's just great to have someone to talk to get the, some things off of your chest and you'll feel much better after doing so. BetterHelp has helped co- connect over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. Just fill out a brief, go online, fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com mpw. That is betterhelp.com slash mpw for 10% off. Podcast is now brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for all college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering a perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgivable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modding mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We got the Hall of Fame game up on a Thursday night. Football season is just around the corner. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox's NFL and college football picks package. They're the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. You sign up. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all sports. You can go sports specific, whether it's NFL or college, whatever the case may be. I would just be an all-year, all-around Access Pass member. You'll save yourself money, and boom, they'll send you picks on a color-coded spreadsheet based off of unit, and you are more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. You're never going to make money this college football season. Just accept it now by going off your own liens and without having a system. These guys are the professionals. It is all based off of math. Do yourself a favor and actually profit this college football season by signing up with skyboxsportspicks.com. Use that promo code RIPPY, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. Probably going to talk to Greg for a podcast later this week. Go in, see him, you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You're about to get another newsletter from me, but you also get discounted meats. Right now, it's a six, three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there. 
for 20 bucks. Just go show Greg Proof a subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go all find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. A crown jewel of Oxford, all kinds of delicious sausages, seafood, incredible cuts of meat. It's the best place in the world if you want to throw something on the grill. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Glen West. My last question was just the fact that they, I mean, if you win the toughest division in college football in year one, that's about as high as you could possibly set the bar other than, I guess, making the college football playoff on top of it. And I thought one of the more interesting pieces from SEC Media Day was Kelly got asked a question about competing with Georgia and getting to that level. And he was pretty honest about, hey, we're our roster is not at a point where we can compete with them. We're working to get there. We think we can get there. But like, don't make any mistake about it. We're not there yet. And I thought that was both refreshingly honest and yeah. also playing into him publicly downplaying a little bit this year, do you get the sense among like fan base sentiment that like, yes, last year worked out well, they won the West, but like, it's not there yet. This is still going to take a little bit of time to get that to the consistent level that at least he wants it from a roster standpoint. Does this fan base share that sentiment? I, I think to an extent they do. I think they want to see some improvement in terms of the, the regular season record. Like I, I think 10 wins, um, it has been kind of the consensus around here of, of what would be a positive season. Um, and, and yeah, I, I do think that, that, that the LSU fan base, you know, it, it can be very, uh, dramatic and very, um, you know, just kind of over the top at times, but they, they know what they're talking about and they know what they're looking at most of the time and they can see what a good team looks like. And if, um, you know, if they, if they go out there and for example, they lose a, a nail biter in a really well executed game, they're not going to go out there and, 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 it, you know, call for the coach's job or anything like that. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be, I think, pretty uh, conservative in their judgment of, of what this team could be if they lose a game or two along the way. Um, I think everybody understands that, you know, this day and age of college football, it's it, it's it, it's it's as much about what you do in the offseason as what you do as what you do during the regular season in terms of the kind of talent and the turn kind of turnover or lack of turnover that you have on your roster. LSU's still in a phase right now where they're turning over their roster pretty significantly every year. Um, and, you know, I think the reason that there's so much confidence in this group right now is because they have continuity on offense. And um, you'll, you'll see a lot of that this year play out. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I honestly um, I have a, a, a kind of idea of how this season could go in my head, but I but you, you never really know. And I think that this is going to be a, a really early telltale sign of what the Brian Kelly era could look like in Baton Rouge. And you mentioned the continuity piece of it. They returned both coordinators. What was the, what was the approval rating when they were hired? Cause he brings in Denbrock, who's a guy, his offensive coordinator. He had a history with at Notre Dame. And then Matt house seemed to be a little bit of a, not out there, but a little bit further of a reach in terms of someone he wasn't as familiar with on the defensive side of the football what was the temperature kind of approval rating when they were both hired? And obviously I imagine that that's only improved as last year went along. Yeah. I mean, I think for Denbrock, I mean, they were conservative hires. I think you could put it that way as like, they weren't the splashy, like young offensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, he went after, uh, you know, Reese a, a little bit from Notre Dame last year. And I don't think much materialized there, um, but he brought in a guy in, in Mike Denbrock who, and, and look, we just talked with Mike Denbrock yesterday. I love talking to that guy. He, he just looks like a dude that you would love to play for as, as a player. I mean, he really is a great personality, very laid back. Um, you know, he, he knows, he knows what he's talking about offensively. And I think they kind of needed that, that guy in place offensively to kind of really change 
uh, what they were doing from from the previous from the previous staffs because they were they were going through offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators every year towards the end of the Orgeron era they were replacing guys every year and it's hard to build kind of any kind of semblance of chemistry and continuity if you're changing coaches every year and so I think to have both you know Denbrock and House back for a second year they have their entire offensive staff position group coaches included back this year the only the only kind of downside has been that they've been going through a lot of defensive line coaches over the last seven months with Jamar Kane leaving. And then uh, they hired Jimmy Lindsay and, and coach Lindsay, unfortunately is dealing with uh, a little bit of a health scare right now. And so they've kind of had to uh, internally change things up. So, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit, um, you know, kind of going through some flux there, but their defensive coaching staff outside of that is still intact. And um, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of confidence and a lot of excitement about just what those two units can do now that they have some continuity and they have uh, some chances to evolve their their offensive and defensive schemes here in year two. And one of the shrewd elements of those coordinator hires was it's not – you mentioned – I mean, Ole Miss has dealt with a lot of coordinator turnover, and I think that's affected some of the stability in terms of year-in, year-out results over the last couple of years. But Denbrock's a guy who's almost 60 years old, not necessarily a guy you're going to hear on a hot board for head coaching openings every year. Matt House, younger guy, but I don't really see his name pop up as much. Maybe it's just because I'm not looking hard enough. But it doesn't seem like a couple guys that you wonder every year will they be back if things go well. It seems like two guys that are pretty – entrenched in their role and wouldn't necessarily yeah. jump quickly for another opportunity just because of where they're at in their respective careers. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree completely with that. And I think that, you know, look, Matt house is a very kind of reserved talker. Um, he's not really one for public speaking a whole lot. He's very much all football all the time. And that's, that's great to have in a defensive coordinator, a guy who uh, is really, really good at making adjustments on the fly and, and seeing what defenses are opposing offenses are throwing at them on a particular week. Uh, he's very good at that. Uh, he, he's, he's very good at delegating as well. I mean, he has some really good, uh, position coaches that have a lot of experience under his, under his wing. And, um, that, that's, that goes back to Kelly finding the right guys, the right pieces to mold, um, these, these young players, they're all the, the, one of the biggest things that Kelly's talked about is, you know, we want to be able to get to a place where we're sustaining success. And the only reason, the only way we can do that is by recruiting freshman classes, well and then developing them once they're here the development piece has been very uh glaring just just how quickly that they've been able to develop some of these guys uh in the first year with this new staff and i i i absolutely expect that to continue and for lsu to continue to be one of the uh premier teams kind of in in the, in the conference one of the last things I had for you is the the Jaden Daniels performance last year had a trickle down effect that affected, you know, that trickle down, I should say, or trickled up all the way to Oxford, Mississippi, because Ole Miss ends up with um, Walker Howard coming into the transfer portal. Nussmeyer stays. Those are kind of the two younger quarterbacks. They brought in Daniels last year as an older veteran option. He ends up taking the job and taking a pretty firm grasp of the position what actually led, like, was it, was it going to be an either or thing with Nussmeyer or Walker Howard? It's been interesting because Walker yeah. Howard is by all accounts in practice and through spring ball been very impressive so far. And I, I don't know if he will, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him starting a game for Ole Miss this year. They're seemingly downplaying that saying it's a Spencer Sanders, um, Jackson dart thing, but Hey, things don't go well. Why not rip the bandaid off and put the kid in? But I guess my point in asking that is yeah. what actually led to him 
leaving? Like, why why Nussmeyer yeah. staying? Why him leaving? Obviously, Daniels coming back takes away one of the musical chairs in terms of guys wanting to be first or second string and get you know, take a step closer to the field. But what actually led to Howard's departure versus Nussmeyer staying? Yeah, so the, the initial plan last year, uh, at least in year one, was for Jaden to come in and be kind of a one-year starter, one-year bridge of a veteran, and then turning it over to a Nussmeyer-Walker-Howard battle um, in, in year two. And I think that was kind of the structure that was in place for most of that first offseason. It was kind of the the plan that was uh, you know talked about with Howard and his family and Nussmeyer and his family. And um, but But as the season went on, I think you could see – um, that Jaden thought he might need another year to really kind of be the best version of himself and, uh, and, and return as one of the top quarterbacks in the, in the conference. And certainly in the country with him being one of the, I think he's one of the top preseason top five or top three Heisman candidates right now. So, you know, it, it's, it, it was one of those situations where Walker, I don't think wanted to keep doing the reps with the threes and the twos and not getting much of a first team look here in year two. And I think he thought that, a change of scenery might help him get closer to a starting job. Cause I mean, once Daniels decided to come back um, it was really a decision of when, which of Nussmeyer or Howard was going to enter the portal. And Nussmeyer made it very clear, even from after the sec championship game that he wasn't going to go anywhere. And so I think kind of the, you know, the thought process there with Howard was let's go somewhere where I can get some first team reps. Let's go somewhere where I can really kind of compete for a job or at least get into that rotation a little bit more consistently. Um, and, and LSU was, you know, they were supportive of him. You know, he, he they understood that like, hey, you know, it's looking like it's going to be Daniels for two years and then we'll turn it over to Nussmeyer for one or two years. And then where does that leave LSU with Howard? You know, it's you're, you're asking a five star quarterback to wait for three years um, at least. And I'm not sure that was really going to be in the cards. So I think that was a big decision for him. And it, I think TCU was probably another program that was tossed around with Howard and uh, ultimately winds up at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. But it's good to see good to hear that he's doing well. I mean, he he definitely was. I think you could definitely see the the lights come on for him towards the end of his tenure with LSU, but he was, um, I think, clearly a step behind what Nussmeyer and even Daniels were last year for most of their first season. That's what I was going to ask you as a follow-up was for the, from Nussmeyer to Howard, what gave Nussmeyer the edge? Was it just an experience thing? Was it anything specific you got a sense as to why Nussmeyer was QB2 and Howard was three? Yeah, I think it was a development thing. I think Nuss, you know, Nuss has been pretty, or Nuss was a little bit more erratic during his career, uh, his early part of his career, but the talent, the arm talent's always been there. I mean, I've seen some throws that he's made this fall that make me believe, oh man, this dude's going to be so fun to watch whenever he gets a chance to play uh, and start for LSU. And um, yeah, I just think it was one of those things where Howard was, you know, as a young freshman quarterback, you're learning the playbook, you're having to learn how to go, do things all on your own uh, and, and, and the quarterback position is the most difficult one to learn. And I think um, just Nussmeyer being there for a couple of years before Howard got the chance to get on that roster and really kind of learn the offense and, 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 and contribute in that way. Um, I think that's kind of what led to the Nussmeyer Howard debate and why, why Nuss ultimately decided to stay being the reason that Howard would leave. It's going to be a fascinating year. He is going West. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll do this again. Maybe LSU will miss week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd be absolutely down for that. It sounds good. 
That'll do it for our show today. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Hope you're learning something from these opponent previews. I've got Weldon Rodenberg later today, so be on the lookout for that podcast for Wednesday and a couple of, uh, I'd say, off-the-wall interviews that I think you'll find fascinating, kind of in the Scott Cochran range, I would say, as well as some old Miss content for you coming down the pipe. So tons of pods coming this week. Thank you for listening to this show as always. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon.